0: So, if you have your Bibles, open it with me to Exodus chapter 15. I believe that God is going to allow some of you to experience deep healing in your life today. Um, I believe that a process is going to begin in some of your lives of healing for His glory and for your heart's deepest delight. So, we've been on a series called The Experiential Names of God. And We've seen that as people enter into a crisis, God presents an aspect of His character and power to them and then He declares His name as a result of that. For example, I don't simply declare to my wife that I am a patient, loving, awesome husband. I don't just declare, I don't just make a proclamation and then that be the end of it. No, if I want her to know that aspect of me, then through a relationship that emerges. And as a result, it's she that can testify of who I am in her life. So we see a pattern that God doesn't simply declare who He is. He allows His people to enter into a crisis and through that crisis... They experience Him and then He declares Himself to be El Elyon or El Shaddai or in the case today, Jehovah Rapha. God is my healer. So let's begin in Exodus chapter 15 with our text. And I believe that today you are going to know God better by experience, experiencing Jehovah Rapha. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness of Shur and they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. This is no small statement. Um, they were in the wilderness and they had no water. It's easy to gloss right over that, but that is major There's three kinds of wildernesses in in, in Israel. The first kind of wilderness would remind you of basically where I'm from, West Texas. Lubbock and Midland, right? It's dry, it seems desolate, or maybe even a little further west, say El Paso. It's dry, but, but life can exist. There can be cattle out there. But it's harsh. There's another kind of wilderness in Israel... ...and this would be more akin to perhaps a desert that you would see in Nevada. It is extremely harsh. But then there's another kind of wilderness in Israel... ...and I've actually, I've actually had the privilege of spending an entire day... ...hiking through this particular wilderness. And it would remind you of, no exaggeration, Mars... We've seen pictures of the rover on Mars and it sent pictures back and it's just dry and desolate and red dust and rock and jagged and harsh. This is the kind of wilderness that they are hiking in. And they're hiking here for no less than three days and they don't have, guys, they don't have a drop of water. And so what they are about to do is die. And so they are grumbling about it. Verse 24. And the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? And you're going to see a pattern in the people of Israel. They grumble a lot. They grumble, grumble, grumble. And when they're not grumbling, they're grumbling. This is what they do. They grumble. And they're saying, look at where you brought us. We have nothing to drink. And in verse 25, Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a log, a piece of wood. He threw it into the water and the water became sweet. And there the Lord made for them a statue and a rule. And there He tested them. You see this? This pain, this adversity, this wilderness experience wasn't random. It was intentional. It was purposeful by God. It was God who led them through the wilderness with no water for three days. It wasn't Moses' clumsy leadership. It was God who led Israel into the wilderness. Saying, and God said... If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in His eyes and give ear to His commandments and keep all His statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. Remember the ten plagues? For I am the Lord your healer or for I am Jehovah Rapha. Verse 27. Then they came to Elim where there were twelve springs from the wilderness to twelve springs of water, seventy palm trees and they encamped there by the water. All right, let me pray. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that every person here would experience you as Jehovah Rapha at their place of deepest need. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing that we see is that God the Father revealed himself as Jehovah Rapha in the Old Testament. Jehovah Rapha is revealed by God the Father in the Old Testament. I am the God that heals you. And we're going to see in this text, it's actually quite packed. We're going to see that there's at least four healings that emerge in this text. There are four healings that God is deeply interested in our lives. The first healing is circumstantial or physical healing. Circumstantial or physical healing. Let's look at verse 23. When they came to Marah, they could not drink water at Mara because it was bitter. So they are in desperate need for some circumstantial healing and quick. So picture this scene. There's a million Hebrews. They think they're about to die. Then up in the horizon, they see something glistening. And they, they think, is that just... A heat wave that's causing the the horizon to glisten? Or could that be water? So they continue to hike and they realize it is water. And they continue to, to, to pick up their pace. And they get closer to the water and now they're running to it. And the younger men, they sort of outrun everybody else. And by now, the whole camp realizes water is ahead. And there's laughter and they're running and they run into the water. And then men with, with babies are bringing containers to fill up to take back to their wife and kids. And they run into the water and they're splashing and some might even splash one another or playfully tackle one another because all of their hearts are overflowing with joy. And then as they run, they just collapse into the water. And then they, they make cups out of their hands and they just start lapping up water and then quickly they start spitting that water out. And coughing that water out. And then you you hear them say to one another, don't drink it, the water is bitter. It's bitter. Some ignore that because of their stubbornness, their flesh, they indulge their flesh, they drink and they pay the price for it. They are at water that is bitter. Their circumstances are bitter. And this is why God brought them here. To see that he is the God who translates bitter circumstances into sweet circumstances. Isaiah chapter 61 verse 1 through 3. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Watch, watch how God has a desire to translate bitter circumstances into sweet. To bind up the brokenhearted, To proclaim liberty to the captives. To open the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of, of our God. To comfort all who mourn. And to grant those who mourn in Zion. Watch this. To give them beauty instead of ashes. Gladness instead of mourning. Praise instead of a faint spirit. That they may be called the oaks of righteousness. Let me ask you something. Is there something in your circumstances today that is bitter? And you're in a crisis and you deeply need God to translate it into something that's sweet. God delights in translating bitter circumstances into sweet. But there's another reason that they're here. And this is not simply by God's design so they can experience circumstantial healing. There's another reason, and it's to experience deep mental and emotional healing. Do you remember what I mentioned to you was Israel's favorite pastime? It wasn't baseball. It was grumbling. They grumbled, grumbled, grumbled. They had bitter hearts. In fact, there's a story about a first grader who was always making ugly faces at his classmates and he was scaring the little girls and they complained to the teacher and the first grade teacher says to the little boy, Jimmy, when I was your age, my teacher told me that if I made ugly faces like that, that my my, my face would freeze like that. And Jimmy said to his teacher, well, you can't say that you weren't warned. (laughs) But you know, this is true about bitterness, isn't it? It starts in our heart and in our minds and it freezes our face the truth you can point a person with bitterness out in a crowded room of people and there's something about them that just evaporates the joy and the peace from the atmosphere and this was the case with Israel their face froze and was contorted with bitterness and they were grumbling and we see that God tests them it's clearly in the text in verse 25 God brought them here to test them So, yes, he's interested in showing them that he's the God who can turn uh, bitter circumstances into sweet circumstances. But there's something deeper at work here. And this is that God wants to bring his people into a place of deep mental and deep emotional healing. So he brings a bitter people to bitter waters. To allow them to see their reflection in the waters. And allow their bitterness and grumbling to emerge. And know this, God is deeply interested in healing mental and emotional sickness in your heart. We celebrate when God does perform physical healings. We believe that if it occurred in the book of Acts, it can occur today. However, we believe that there is something even more profound than that that is oftentimes overlooked. And that is when God... Deeply heals somebody mentally and emotionally. This is the case in Jonah. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. In a psalm that could rival um, any psalm that King David ever wrote, we see that Jonah experienced deep mental, deep emotional healing. Jonah went through a trauma. I mean, he would have, with, apart from mental and emotional healing, he would have PTSD from his experience in the belly of this great fish. This was not a metaphor. Jesus endorsed it as a historical account and said, likewise, I'm going to be in the belly of the grave, just as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish. Think about this. This isn't like Pinocchio being in the belly of a big old well. You remember and he cooked the fire and, and all of that? It wasn't like this at all. The prophet Jonah was swallowed by a great fish, and he is, his face is probably smashed against the lining of this fish. Seaweed is wrapped around his head. His body is contorted. He can't move. It's pitch dark. You can't see. It smells putrid. His skin is burned by acidic fluids. And he senses the well go from the top of the sea to the bottom of the sea, from the top to the bottom. He can't move. He's in this contorted position, pitch darkness, wanting to barf because of the putrid smells and the fluids. He can't even move his face. He can't even move enough to take the seaweed off of his head. And he's in this position entirely out of control, writing the big fish's movements from the top to the bottom of the sea for three days and three nights. And then he prays in Jonah chapter two, verse one through 10. Then Jonah prayed from the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and the Lord answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. Your waves and billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. And at the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed up over me forever. Yet, you brought my life out of the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And now my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation Belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah out. Now, Jonah had deep dialogue with God and experienced deep mental and healing from what he would have otherwise encountered uh, PTSD as a result of. And God is interested in healing you, not just circumstantially. And God is interested in healing you, not just mentally and emotionally. But God is also interested in giving you deep spiritual healing. Even deeper than circumstances, even deeper than our, our, our mental or emotional healing. God wants to give you spiritual healing. Exodus chapter 15, verse 25. Moses cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. Piece of wood, and he threw it through into the water, and the waters became sweet. This is actually a picture of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the wood, the cross of Christ, that turns our bitter sins into the very righteousness of God. Elijah experienced deep healing spiritually, emotionally, and mentally, and circumstantially from God. When he was suicidal, he was depressed. He just had a victory, and he was running as far as he could. His circumstances were off. His mind wasn't right. His heart wasn't right. He was exhausted. And then there, the Lord ministered to him. The Lord said, go into a cliff. Elijah was in a cliff. And there was a, there was a powerful fire. But God wasn't in the fire. And then there was a sandblasting wind. But God wasn't in the wind. And then there was an earthquake. But God wasn't in the earthquake. But then there was this gentle whisper. And that was the voice of the Lord. And through that gentle whisper, Elijah experienced deep spiritual healing. But I believe that perhaps the purest context of God initially introducing Himself as Jehovah Rapha is that He is the God who has a heart and an ambition to heal nations. Our text continues. The bitter water was made sweet. And there the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and he tested them saying, If you will diligently listen to my voice, and do that what is right in my eyes, and give ear to my commandments, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. I am the Lord your healer. I am Jehovah Rapha. The purest context here is national healing. Yes, God is interested in circumstantial healing. Yes, God is interested in mental and emotional healing. Yes, God is interested in spiritual healing. But I believe the purest context in this text, when God first introduces Himself as Jehovah Rapha, is national healing. And God is telling a million people, if you turn to me, if you obey me, if you don't have uh, gods before me, if you don't commit idolatry, if you don't turn from depending upon me, then I will protect you from the same plagues that I brought on the Egyptians. Now, I believe that there are some people here today who desperately need circumstantial healing in your life, and God wants to meet you at that place. There's some people here who desperately need God to touch them at a place of mental or deep emotional healing. And God wants to meet you in that place. And there's some people here who desperately need spiritual healing. And God wants to meet you in this place. But I know for sure that we have a nation that is in desperate need of healing. And we have a God who desires to heal our nation. But it's not going to be as a result of non-believers or non-Christians or who people who, who, who are far from God repenting and crying out for God to help our nation. It's going to be the result of the church of Christians, of you and me, repenting of our sins and crying out to God to help us and to change us. So throughout the Old Testament, God the Father reveals Himself as Jehovah Rapha. And throughout the New Testament, Jesus Christ personifies Himself as Jehovah. Jehovah Rapha. In the flesh, in the person, Jesus is Jehovah Rapha. We read in Luke chapter 8 verse 43 through 48 of an encounter where Jesus is walking. It's it's a mob that's surrounding Him. It's almost a riot. They're trying to get to Jesus just to touch Jesus. And then a lady who's had an issue of bleeding for 12 years finally makes her way to Him. She touches Him. Jesus feels the power drawn from Him to her. She's healed immediately. And then He tells her, your faith has healed you. This is Jehovah Rapha in the flesh, walking, touching, healing. But I want to talk for a moment about some of you who are experiencing and you're weathering the hurt of seemingly unanswered prayer and seemingly unanswered healing. And perhaps you're You're shy to to, to pray boldly, believing, expecting, because you've prayed once and that problem persists. Or the answer seemed to be a clear no. Or you have a loved one who you prayed for. Maybe you fasted for. Maybe you had friends fast and pray, and the answer was no. Or maybe you witnessed unparalleled faith from a godly saint whose body was, was... riveted with a disease, and they ended up going home. And as a result, you're experiencing the pain of seemingly unanswered prayer. Just let me share this. We've seen God answer prayers mightily. And we've seen God heal people physically. Mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And we're praying for a sweeping revival where God heals our nation. But then we've also seen times that God says, not now, or I'm going to answer in a different way, a more beautiful, a more glorious way. Or I'm going to answer in a manner that, that, that you wouldn't have the insight to ask. For example, do you think that a, a sugar ant could possibly understand all of the information on the World Wide Web? Of course not. Much less turn on a computer. And much less, how can we understand everything about the ways of God? And so, sometime in our limited understanding, we pray for a speck of dust, but God has in mind a mountain. And sometimes in our humanity, we don't know what to pray. So we pray what we know to pray. And the Holy Spirit translates that prayer we read in Romans to what He really wanted us to pray. And the answer is more beautiful and more glorious. For example, Jesus, though He is God and though He is omniscient, all-knowing, He grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. That was part of the deal of becoming a man. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, in His humanity, He prayed on the eve of His crucifixion, let this cup pass from Me. What cup? The cup of drinking the sins of the world and dying on the cross. Let this cup pass from Me. But that prayer was denied, wasn't it? And Jesus drank that cup. And He did die on the cross for our sins. And aren't you grateful that Jesus' prayer request was denied. Because if Jesus didn't go to the cross, where would we be today? And in the same way, if you've endured unanswered prayer, we can thank God for it. Because He's doing something so miraculous through it. Is God glorified when He answers our prayers? You bet He is. But when God's answer is, Later, or when God's answer is no, because you prayed for a speck of dust and I have in mind a mountain, then the answer is going to be so much more glorious. Or consider the Apostle Paul who had a thorn in the flesh. I'll tell you exactly what the thorn in the flesh was. No, I'm kidding. I won't tell you because I don't really know. Nobody really knows. But I think that the thorn in the flesh was his eyesight. That's my opinion. And here's why I believe that. Paul concluded one of his letters saying, look at what large letters I'm writing. I'm not dictating this letter. I'm writing it with my own hands. See what large letters I'm using? In another account, Paul was writing to a church who lost their heart for him, and he was trying to win their heart back. And he, could say, and he said, I can testify there was a time that you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me if you could. Couple that with the reality that he was beaten with rods many times. You put that all together. I don't think it's a stretch to consider that his thorn in the flesh could have been his eyesight. And Paul prayed three times that this thorn in the flesh would be removed from him. And yet the answer was no, because my grace is sufficient for you. And as a result of that, Paul walked in humility. And as a result of that, Paul had to depend upon Barnabas. He had to to depend upon Titus. He had to depend upon Timothy. He had to depend upon a team. And as a result of that, we have a third of the New Testament, which we may not have had otherwise. So I thank God that Paul's prayer request was denied. So sometimes God says, yes, and it's glorious. Sometimes God says, yes, but later. And sometimes God says, "Uh, you prayed for a speck of dust, and I have in mind a mountain. And that is the most glorious of all. Because this much we know about God, He cannot be put in a box Does God heal? Yes. Does God sometimes choose to heal in eternity more gloriously? Yes. Do we understand His ways? No. And we're never commanded to understand His ways. We're simply called to trust Him and to praise Him. Even when we don't understand, and especially when we don't understand His ways, we trust Him and we praise Him. We are never ever called to understand God. We are only called to trust Him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your steps. God is not a formula. How many times, for example, did God appear to somebody in Scripture through a burning bush? Multiple choice. One, three, or five. Good job, Christina. One time. Why? Because God's not a formula and He doesn't want us pursuing a burning bush. He wants us pursuing him one time Jesus healed somebody of blindness by simply saying receive your sight and the guy had 20 20 one time there was a blind man and Jesus spits in the dirt makes mud pies puts the mud on the guy's face and tells him to go wash in the pool of Salome, and then the guy could see one time Jesus walks over and he just flat out spits in a blind guy's eyes and as a result of that he could see What is the point to this? The point is that God is not a formula. We can't put Him in a box. Sometimes He heals immediately. Sometimes He heals through a process. Sometimes we think we know what He's up to. Other times we have no idea, but we trust Him. And His ways are always Glorious. But however God chooses to heal us, whether it's immediately or whether it's through a process or whether it's one day in glory, it is for His glory and our hearts deepest delight and the hope of the world. As we read in John chapter 9 verse 1 through 10, Jesus he had some disciples that had some really bad theology and they looked at a guy who was blind and they said, why is he blind? Because of his sin or his parents' sin. Jesus just blew their theology out of the water. He said, neither. He's not blind because of anybody's sin. He's blind for my glory. And He heals him In His time and in His way, for His glory and the hope of the world. So throughout the Old Testament, God the Father reveals Himself as Jehovah Rapha. Throughout the New Testament, Jesus personifies Himself as Jehovah Rapha. And then today, in the, our era... The Holy Spirit applies Himself to our lives as Jehovah Rapha. And we read in James chapter 5, verse 14 through 16. Is anybody sick? This could be physical ailment. I believe it can also be mental, emotional ailment. Let Him call for the elders of the church, the leaders, the the sheepdog who are watching out for the flock. And let them pray over the sick person, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power. Guys, this is why it's so critical that we walk in community. Because the healing power of the Holy Spirit, right here, is unpacked within the context of community in a church family. For example, last night when Robert was sharing, Robert Borelli shared, and, or y- yesterday morning for our breakfast, he shared and it was very vulnerable. He shared some very, very vulnerable things about his life before Christ and how Christ healed him spiritually. And through his healing, or through his vulnerability, my dad shared and was vulnerable. And through that vulnerability, John Mark shared and was vulnerable. And through that vulnerability, Brad Wright shared and was vulnerable. And through that vulnerability, David shared. David Orozco shared. And through that vulnerability, we all prayed as one. And as a result of that, one person who shared about some mental and emotional healing, mental and and, and emotional ailments, and roadblocks experienced breakthrough. And this is what happens when the body of Christ comes together and somebody shares and is vulnerable and allows others to come along beside them and pray for them and healing And experience healing. One time, I even uh, created a Sunday night Bible study for a couple of years for the sole purpose of praying for me. <laughs> because I was going through a difficult time and I needed the healing of my church family. And this is the value, this is the beauty of community because we can encourage one another and there's laying on of hands and we can experience the power of God in our lives. Let me conclude by sharing a verse from Peter. First Peter. We read in 1 Peter that we should not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange Were happening to you. We should not be surprised at the fiery trial that has come upon us to test you. In this passage, it talks about testing. A fiery trial is to test you. At these bitter waters of Mar that we read about in Exodus 15, it was to test them. And we shouldn't be surprised by the fiery trials that have come to test us as though something strange were happening to us. And we can see a couple of things from this passage. One is that when we realize that we're in a fiery trial, that we should not be surprised. We should expect it. Expect it. You shouldn't say, why me or why is this happening? We are in a fallen world and we should expect it. And the second action step here is to celebrate it. To celebrate it because we know that God is doing something glorious through it, as First Peter continues in verse 13 of chapter 4. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. We can expect suffering, but not only that, we can celebrate suffering because we know that God is doing something glorious through that suffering. What's he doing through it? First of all, he's making you to look, he's causing you to look more like Jesus. Secondly, He's causing you to minister more like Jesus. Thirdly, He's causing you to know Jesus more. And it is going to be worth it. Through your suffering, you will look like Christ, you will minister like Christ, and you will know Christ in a manner that you would have never known Him otherwise. Why? Because God wants to meet you at your place of deepest need when you're totally dependent upon Him, and when you cry out to Him. Would you stand with me, please? And I believe that God wants to encounter some of you at your place of deepest need. And He wants to touch you at your place of circumstantial need with His healing power. Or your mental or emotional need and touch you with His healing power. Or at your place of spiritual um, need and touch you with His cleansing and forgiving power. Would you allow Him to do that? And for anybody who has weathered the storm of seemingly unanswered prayer, know that God is good and God is trustworthy and God is glorious. And you're in good company because Jesus himself had his prayer request denied. But could you imagine where we would be today without that? You're in good company. Because the Apostle Paul himself had his prayer request denied. And again, where would we be without that? And if for some reason your healing is deferred, if for some reason a healing was denied, or if for some reason healing was appointed for eternity and not time, for heaven not here, then it's because God has something beautiful and profound. Just look at Paul's thorn in the flesh and the anointing that flowed out of that for the hope of the world. But we know that God is a healer. And sometimes as Jesus said to one blind man, receive your sight, he heals instantly, but when he said to another blind man, here's this mud, go wash in the pool and it's a process. I believe that through the process, God is healing more gloriously. And here's why I believe that. When God heals you in a moment, praise God. But when God heals you through a process, and that process might take a decade or more or a lifetime, I believe that that is God's greatest glory because consider That it took him only six days to speak the universe into existence. Just six days. It took him just a day to make mankind. It took him just a day to carve out the canyons. Just a day to fling stars into infinite space. Can he just say the word? Of course But when he ushers you through a process, if it took him just six days to create the universe and everything within it, imagine the glory that he's cultivating in your heart and mind through a process. Imagine the hope that is going to resound through this process to the rest of the world. Imagine how you're going to know him and celebrate him through this process. And it's going to be worth it it is going to be worth it. However God chooses to heal, whether it's in a moment or whether it's through a process, however God chooses to heal, it's going to be worth it. And you won't be able to contain the praise of your testimony that's being cultivated and forged in this trial right now. Consider Hosea and his wife, Gomer. She was unfaithful and they had three kids and not a one of them was his. And so God said, name your kids. First one, name not my people. The second kid named no mercy. The third kid named scatter. It was a word picture for the gospel and it was a word picture for the people of Israel because Hosea was a prophet. Because this is what my people are doing to me, God was communicating. Hosea had three kids named not my people, no mercy, and scattered. Scattered. Can you imagine the healing that needed to take place in Hosea and his wife's relationship? But healing did take place through utter brokenness and a, embodying Jesus Christ, a picture of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament to his wife. Hosea eventually renamed his kids Not my people, I'm changing your name. You're my people. No mercy. I'm changing your name, mercy. I will show you mercy. Scattered, I'm changing your name to gather together. This this personifies how God can heal mentally. God can heal emotionally. God can heal spiritually. God can heal circumstantially. God can heal physically. God can heal relationally. God wants to touch you at your place of deepest need and show himself to you to be Jehovah Rapha. Would you bow your heads? If you need to experience God as Jehovah Rapha in your life, just raise your hand high. I would like to pray for you. It might be a circumstantial need, a mental or emotional, a physical need, a spiritual need, a relational need, but you need to experience Jehovah Rapha in your life. Amen. Jesus said, according to your faith, let it be done unto you. Jesus' healings throughout the New Testament we accompanied by the intersection of people's faith. By people's faith. The window through which the healing power of God flows into our life is through faith. Jesus said, with faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. It's through faith that we experience the power of God at our place of deepest need. How much faith Jesus said the size of a mustard seed how much faith is that just enough to ask just enough to cry out to the lord just enough to call upon the lord condemning accusations of the enemy will say something like that you don't really believe or you don't believe enough or you don't expect enough Jesus said forget about all of that it's faith the size of a mustard seed and how much faith is that Romans 10:13 for all who call upon the name of the lord shall be saved do you have faith to call upon Jesus Christ to be Jehovah Rapha your place of deepest need let's call now Father you saw those hands and we raise our hands as a testimony that you are Jehovah Rapha you're the God that heals you're the God that heals physically circumstantially, mentally, emotionally nationally, relationally, spiritually And we call upon you to show yourself powerful As Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals at our place of deepest need, we pray that at this moment, right now, your healing power would touch somebody at their place of deepest need. At this moment, right now, your healing power would instigate a process that will bring you glory and your child's deepest delight. At this moment, begin a process of healing and restoration that will bring hope to the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And in our response time, worship with all of your heart and just call upon the Lord throughout our worship to be Jehovah Rapha at your place of deepest need. You know, I mentioned that the direct context for our text was in relation to national healing and national preservation. And that text... Corresponds; it corroborates with 2 Chronicles 7.14. You know, if my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face and pray, I'll hear, I'll heal. And our nation needs healing. Our nation is divided. It, our, our nation is hateful. It's s- sarcastic. It's immoral. We, we, we drive the demand for pornography. We, our, our nation drives the demand for sex trafficking in the entire world. Our nation deeply needs healing. And this is a result of the people of God praying with hearts that are repented, with hearts that are broken, not angry at lost people, not ticked off at lost people because they they don't understand or they're on the other side of the aisle or they're they're frustrating to us politically. No, we, we have to be broken for lost people. And to be honest, I I don't see a lot of brokenness in the church. I see a lot of anger in the church. I see a lot of indignation in the church at lost people. But I don't see a lot of brokenness in the church for lost people. This is why revival tarries. The church isn't repentant. The church is ticked off at lost people. Revival will continue to tarry. And our nation will continue to crumble until the church repents. And is broken for lost people. And with hearts that are fully repented, cry out to Jesus to save our nation and to draw lost people to Himself. Let's let's pray that now. and This will be our dismissal prayer. Father, we thank You that You're a God that heals. That is abundantly clear. You are a God of all power and authority. We don't pretend to understand Your ways. And when we don't understand You, we resolve not to be offended at You. We trust You. Because you are good and you're glorious and you're faithful. And right now we pray as a church. And we pray that this prayer of united hearts would ignite a sweeping wildfire throughout Fort Worth. And it would continue on throughout our nation we as a church repent of being more indignant at and ticked off at and angry at lost people than broken for them and and concerned about the condition of their soul and the destiny of their eternity. Lord, we, we repent of bitterness and we pray for brokenness. And we pray that people far from You would realize that there's a God who loves them and who went to the cross for them so that they wouldn't have to Uh, spend eternity without Him. Lord, let a lost United States of America turn to You with their whole heart and call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. And Lord, we pray for people to know You. We pray for broken people, lost people, to be convicted of their sins and turn to You as the Lord and Savior. But how will they believe if they don't hear? So utilize us to share with our friends, to share with anyone everywhere that God loves them and God will save them. And Lord, we pray for repenting in our own heart. We repent. We turn from our own sins and we turn to You, Lord. We cast down anything that's inconsistent with Your absolute holiness, Your absolute purity, and Your brokenness and Your compassion for a lost and dying world and the hurting among us. God, we pray in Jesus' name, heal our land. Heal our land. Amen.